and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope everyone had a good Easter and that you're getting a bit of spring weather wherever you are. Our interview this week is with the British Olympic show jumper Holly Smith. She talks about what she looks for in a top horse. I like them to jump. I do. They've got to jump. They've got to be sound um, to take the work. They've got to be scopy. They've got to be brave. They've got to be careful. Yeah, all horses have got the faults. They have. It's just trying to find ones that you can work with. I'll be chatting to our dressage editor, Polly Bryan, about last week's NAF five-star winter dressage championships and to our news team about spinal cord injury research, data in horse sport and why we need to worry about the future of hackneys. Finally, bits and bitting expert Trisha Nassau-Williams discusses bridle design and what will work for your horse. However well designed your bridle is, how carefully thought through, however well researched, if it doesn't fit your horse properly, then it's not going to serve him well or give him any greater comfort. So that's enough of me. Pop that fence up and let's get started. Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, show jumping editor at Horse and Hound. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by the Olympic show jumper and championship medalist, Holly Smith. Holly, welcome to this week's podcast. Thank you very much. It's um, great to be with you. Great to have you. Well, actually, we've caught you after a very successful and busy few weeks, haven't you? Down on the Sunshine Tour and actually most recently at the Blue Chip Championships. Um, Tell us about the Blue Chips, first of all. You had a great win there with the very exciting eight-year-old Kimba Costello. Yes, I did. Um, Carlo, as we call him, he was absolutely great on the first day. He's been out in Spain, jumping outdoors, very different type of jumping to what we had at Blue Chip, but he's so versatile and it's his owner's uh, favourite show, Kim Barsley. Mm -hmm. Um, She was really keen that he go there. So yeah, he showed up and he won for her, which was great. Yeah. (laughs) And he's only an eight-year-old, but um, quite an exciting prospect, would you say? Yeah, he is. Um, Emma Jo Slate has produced him all the way through. Um, and we all know that Emma Jo teaches horses to win. Um, oh, definitely. And that, is, that, that is what Carlo has done ever since I've got him. So, yeah, real team effort. Fantastic. Um, and tell us about the string of horses you had out in Spain with you as well. There were a couple of new names, I think, were there? Yeah, there was. Yeah, some some that we've had for longer than people would realise, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they're coming up through the ranks now. They're coming of age. Yeah, I had quite a few horses at a similar level. And I was hoping a few of them had sort of, you know, come through and do well, a few of them. But actually, they, they all performed fantastically. So I was really <laughs> pleased. And Spain is a brilliant place for that, isn't it? You can develop the horses. Tell us about the, sort of the rings and there's, you know, this competition every day, great levels and uh, great course design as well I hear yeah I mean we absolutely love going to the Sunshine Tour um, there's several places in Spain that you can go to to jump the the Herre de la Frontera is to us it's on a completely different level to all the others um, I can't remember exactly how many rings there is now I think there's something like 19 Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all, all different sand rings, grass rings. Like you can wow. take horses there and they think they're at a, a different show every day. Yeah. You know, it's not just the same old rings. And the going is absolutely fantastic as well. The courses are fantastic. The jumps mm-hmm. are fantastic. Yeah, we love it. 
Yeah, brilliant. Um, and which horses then did you have? Which ones were you sort of uh, working with? And uh, tell us about these new ones. Um, so we had Fruselli there. Oh, good old Fruselli. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been jumping him um, now since he was seven. He's 12 this year. So mm-hmm. he's uh, he's an old friend of mine. Um, then I had a mare called Azalette, who... I actually owned her as a five-year-old, six-year-old, then sold her to her current owner, Tanya Wareham, um, mm-hmm. a daughter, Georgie, and Nicole Lockett-Anderson, who used to work for me, jumped her over the last couple of years. Um, she's nine now, so she's starting to come of age, so I've taken the ride over again, and she was fab. She won some 145s out there. She's a real competitor, real feisty mare. Um and she will head to Lumen with me over the next couple of weeks and then oh, do Royal Windsor. Very um, good. An eight-year-old called Kavan that I own um, with Graham Smith. Um, he, he, we've had him since he was a six-year-old. He was bred at Western Lawn Stud. Um, he's been a real challenge ever since it, I think all the way through his life, he's been a real challenge. He's very, very spooky. In what way? <laughs> a very, very spooky, a real spinner, real spinner. Oh, but he's, <laughs> he's scopy. He's got so much jump. Um, oh, we wow. love him to bits. He's, he's just a long old project. Keeps you on your toes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hundred percent. He keeps us on our toes. Yeah. Um, again, he jumped his first 150 out there. Um, he was second in a 145, I believe. Anyway, he really, really really came on for the trip and again he's he will probably follow the same path of as Azalette, Lumen and um, Royal Windsor. Um, Kim, Kimber Costello was out there he was fab he won classes and major player he was out there he was great he had some great placings as well so all in all a good trip. Brilliant and a major player is the one who's come from Shane Breen is that right? Yes, he is. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's been really well produced. He's still owned jointly by his breeders in Ireland. Um, yeah, the production on him is great. He's a great horse to work with. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a pleasure to have him out there. Oh, very exciting. And actually, for people who may not know, your fantastic Olympic partner, Denver, was actually sold late last year. So I'm guessing this is a sort of rebuilding yeah. stage for you. Is this with your string sort of... Regrouping. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I went out to Spain thinking, oh my word, I haven't even got anything to jump in the Grand Prix classes. Like, I'm just going to have to bite, bite the bullet, take all the young ones out. I mean, they're not that young, but they yeah. are young to be performing at that level. And mm-hmm. Frusley, bless him, I've used him as a speed horse for you know, quite a few years now. And uh, just one week, I said to Di Lampard, I said, so I use Frusley in the like the big Grand Prix qualifiers, and he's feeling quite good the first yeah. weeks. She said, yeah, yeah, do, yeah, go for it. So I put him in it and he, he was great. He came second. And I said, today, I said, jump really well. So I give him a run in the Grand Prix and see what he does. She said, yeah, I think, go for it, go for it. <laughs> I walked it that morning. I was like, oh, my word. Yeah, <laughs> <It's massive>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was the same course designer that they used for Spruce Meadows, which is always for Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so it, it was big and the time was tight and I walked in the morning and thought, oh my word, I'm, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> Bless him, I just I set off and he 
jumped it absolutely super and then you know, clearing the jump off again and he came second wow so what a i was like wow that was great as i said to die i said oh, what do i do now I said, see if you can do the same again next week she's like yeah, yeah. He, he was fourth the next week and that was even bigger i mean it's it was only oh. four star level out there but it's it's serious jumping i always say if they you know if, if a horse can go out there and jump the the grand prix out there and go well you know they're yeah. ready for most things so bless him it it just goes to show that if you give a horse time to strengthen up and create a partnership with them and ride them well and treat them well you just you, you don't know how much they're going to come on gosh exciting for him and yeah it really made me smile those results i, I was so i was so chuffed i, I bet because he's been such a good servant over the years and for him to sort of star it's yeah it's, it's really good to see so yeah it, yeah he deserves that like he, he has he's won all over europe he's been fantastic but, but for him to take the number one role and yeah like, to do it two weeks running well three weeks running actually because he was second in the small grand prix the week before oh, um, so for him star. to just go out and shine like he did we were yeah. the, the, all of us the whole team we were, we were delighted oh that's brilliant and um i mean do you have a type what sort of attributes do you look for in a horse i mean the sounds of it you've sort of got every shape and size in your string at the moment but uh, do you have a type do you like a certain type of horse i like i like them to jump yeah basic quality. they've got to jump they've got to be sound um to take the work they've got to be scopey they've got to be brave they've got to be careful yeah all horses have got the faults they have yeah. It's just trying to find ones that you can work with. They've got to have ability, they've got to have talent, and they've got to work with you. Apart from yeah. that, I'm willing to work with most things. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many do you have at home? I mean, what's the setup and how does it all work at home? <laughs> we have a real mixture. Um, so first of all, I've got my daughter's ponies. They are the main thing. <laughs> I can imagine. So we've got, yeah, we've got, we've got three of those. Then mm-hmm. we've got, uh, you know, a few young horses in the middle, sort of five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. We have a few of those. Um, and older horses, I've probably only got four or five at the moment. Azalette lives at home with her owner most of the time. And then we always have myself and Kate Dodd, who's worked for me for years now, mm-hmm. probably six years, five years maybe. And Daniel Videla, who works for me also, he's from Argentina. Um, oh, wow. We do all the, a, lot, a lot of three-year-olds together as well. So we have a real good system for those coming through. Oh, so we'll start, we'll start, I don't know, maybe with eight to ten three-year-olds each year and Daniel does all the long reining. Kate does all of the riding and breaking and getting them going. Then I'll maybe take them over a bit, have a play with them on the flat, and then Kate will take them over again and do all the, um, you know, the, the first shows that type of thing. So we have a real good system, and we all actually like. I love doing that. Yeah, I bet it's great as well because we do a bit with them in the summer when the fall. Like we've got, a, I think we've got about four or five of them going at the moment. Um, get them popping around a little course, and then we'll turn them out until they're until they're five um this time of year and then we can just fetch them back in and they they don't forget a thing and they, they just come back better yeah stronger and they haven't forgotten a thing so yeah that that's a little bit our setup with the young horses you Fantastic. know we don't do it we don't do it fancy they don't do 
proper shows they don't do anything like that but yeah it's it's a pleasure to do them so yeah I've probably got about 20 in at the moment oh between my goodness. Them. yeah I know it doesn't see when I go when I go through what we've got and what yeah we, you know it doesn't sound a lot but when you add them all up it's yeah they, it is a lot, it's a lot <laughs> and do you breed them as well have you got um a few breeding I ones? have I, well I I don't breed them but I actually um there's a mare that I used to jump called Elor oh um, yes she jumped up to 145 level um mm. and i actually have two emerald youngsters out of her who are four this time well that's um, exciting yeah it is exciting it seems like they've been around for what seems like forever and then oh, all yeah. of a sudden they're four and we can actually we broke them in during covid they were quite young actually so we didn't mm-hmm. do a lot with them apart from long line and them just sit on them yeah. anyway we fetched them back in this time and um me and Kate have got them going. We've sort of had one each. I've had the chestnut one, Kate's had the bay one. So we've been getting them going. And yeah, it's just great to see them come through the system. Like I really, mm. I really trust, you know, Daniel and Kate with them. And it's, yeah. oh, it, it's, it's just great to see them come through and they're both showing plenty of ability. One's a bit further ahead than the other because one had pus in his foot. Oh, um, but oh, it's just great. To, it's just great to see them coming through and thinking, God, he really might be something. Yeah. Know? And these are the exciting times, you know, expecting what what will they become? You know, it's uh, they could. Yeah. Be anything, you, so. you don't know whether they are. You don't know whether they are going to work out or not. But it's quite I, I just do quite like having the young ones around. I really like having the young ones around. A lot of my best horses have just turned up you know when they've been a bit older they haven't always been the young ones that we brought through but I don't care I'll continue to do it we enjoy doing it whatever works (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um and you mentioned your daughter Rosie she's um she's following in your footsteps now or is she sort of doing a bit of everything with her ponies yeah a bit of both to be honest um she hunts all through the winter with her dad and me a bit um yeah. and then yeah she 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 enjoys doing a bit of everything with the ponies but she, she's a she's a funny character rosie she's very she's just sort of quietly determined and keen you know she's never you know she's not pushing as such but she yeah. she watches a lot she improves all the time um you know riding you can just see it coming on all the time it's great my mum um takes her to all of her shows and Aww. comes and rides her ponies a bit for me and yeah. picks her up one day a week from school and gives her a jump on them normally on a wednesday so Aww. she's ready for a show at the weekend oh, i bet she loves that so she just quietly like she doesn't do many stayaways or anything like that we're not taking it mega seriously but rosie she spends hours in the saddle and she she studies the sport and she enjoys the sport a lot so i mean who knows what she'll do she's free to i think me and graham both feel the same she's free to do as she pleases if she wants to take it seriously then we will help her all we can if she wants to do something else and horses are a nice hobby then that's great as well if she doesn't want to ride at all then you know that that's also fine but i just she's got a good temperament for the job so we will see we will see what's the space but we're, yeah. we're there to help <laughs> yeah that's all you can ask for it's brilliant um yeah and then for something actually completely different recently you took part in the golden button challenge in february which i'm so in awe of anyone who does that but <laughs> um, it was you managed to finish third in what was your first ever hunt race tell us about that i mean that's just amazing i know, <laughs> I know. well we have <laughs> the horse that i did it on max gold Riverland is called he we bought him as a three-year-old and he was been a bit of a rogue (laughs) yeah he really has actually he's he's come out the other end of it now and he's um 
he's off to America in a couple of weeks. Actually, I've sold oh. him now as, right. as an event horse. Um, so he is, yeah, he's on the aeroplane soon. Um, but yeah, he's a, a complete rogue of a horse. So to be honest, <laughs> in this autumn, again, working with Kate, she says, right, I'm going to take that horse over for a bit. I'm like, okay, yeah. knock yourself out, go for it. <laughs> so we, we, we hunted him all winter. Kate took him out for his first probably half a dozen days. And she said to me, she said, Holly, you need to ride this horse. It's unbelievable. Oh, and he's wow. perfectly behaved as well. It occupied his mind being oh, out. that's on interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so to cut a long story short, I went on a visiting day down to the Ledbury, which is where the Golden Button is. And right. we had a great day. The hedges were amazing. And then they started advertising for the, the Golden Button race. And I thought, oh, I really fancy a go at that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we did as much. We, I probably didn't have as much time as I would have liked. And the horse yeah. is only rising six this time. So, you know, wow. I could have done with another two months, really, to properly <laughs> get him fit. But, yeah, oh, I was incredibly nervous on the day. Cause, oh, were you? <laughs> oh, yeah, inc- incredibly nervous. <laughs> I, went, I went down, walked the course the night before for uh with my friend Annie but um Kirkham and then Kate brought the horse up the next morning after me and Annie had been out and walked the course again and yeah it, it, the horse is just he's an insane jumper he is insane which he's is what so you good, need but yeah but I'm just not used to like I've never done a point to point before or anything like that yeah. so I'm used to hunting but you can kind of <laughs> do it at your own pace a bit Oh my word! Like the, the most notorious fence on the course is number three. It's a, a big open ditch hedge, and there's some like gappy bits to it where everybody aims anyway. But you can't aim for those bits because everybody, especially the people who can't really jump, they yeah. aim for that bit. <laughs> so you just had oh god! You, I was coming in. I was like, oh my word! Everybody, every, it's at the beginning as well. So everybody is all there at once. I was thinking, oh my oh. word! I don't trust anybody. I don't yeah. know any of you. Get out my way! <laughs> yeah, literally, just trying to pick a spot. The horses, yeah. the horses are all strong and fresh and all over the place. Oh, I jumped that, and like there were quite a few fallers around me at the first few fences. I, when I'd landed over that, I took a very you know sharp exhale. Thank you yes. for that. <laughs> And then there's a and that's bit only where you three. The road. Yeah, there's a bit where you do a road crossing sort of after the first half of a course and I mm-hmm. took another breath after that and thank thought, thank God for that. Wow. And then obviously it gets to the you know, the point of nursing a tired horse home at the end. Yeah. He, he was tired at the end. But actually, to be fair, I think three from the end, three people ran out in front of me at a hedge. And on a tired horse, if three people run out, it takes their eye. And bless him for what a rogue he's been when he was a baby. Yeah. The horse pricked his ears, jumped it like a good one, and we ended up finishing third. I was like, I think Kate was delighted. I was delighted. I had quite a few friends there as well. And we just had a fantastic day. I was just, and I was pleased he came back well and fit yeah. and sound and... You know, it, it's just been the making of that horse this winter. Um, as I say, I'm, I'm actually gutted. He's, he has been sold to America now, but I think, you know, I think we'll see him at the five stars eventing for sure. And I, I just I really, yeah, what what a horse. Love him oh to bits. Oh, my gosh. You know, sad I mean, to see him go, but I was please. I say, yeah, I mean, to have, to have done that on him as well. I mean, that's a special memory that you will always have with him. Uh, oh, it, I, I'll never forget it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. I'd love, I'd actually love to get myself a, a thoroughbred horse and, you know, do it as a bit of a hobby because I don't... Yeah. I don't do a lot else. You know, I love my horses and the show jumping is always so, it's always so serious for me. I love it, but it's my job. Like I have to take it, 
incredibly seriously. I would yeah. take the hunt races seriously, to be fair. But it's just something different, you know, something you can go off and do with your mates and completely switch off from yeah 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 exactly so yeah loved it brilliant um and i mean does this sort of reflect your childhood what was were you sort of out doing eventing hunting all these things when you were a kid as well when did show jumping sort of take over uh um, so i grew up doing all pony club activities um Mm -hmm. lots of hunter trials um eventing hunting everything um show jumping I think when I was sort of 12, 13, 14, um, me and my mum, we used to buy ponies, break them in. Um, and we had a few that that jumped well enough to take the British show jumping seriously. So we, we for a few years, we did that before I started doing my GCSEs. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a pony qualify for the Fox into final. And that's that's as far as I took it. I never jumped above 120. Yeah. Um, I never did any of the JA classes, anything like that. Then for the next few years, I just focused on my education, really, and playing other sports as well. I, you know, played um county hockey and you know i like playing netball just just a- any sports and as i said focusing on my education and doing my exams mm-hmm. um so yeah it took until i was well, how old was i when i got dougie douglas i think i was 21 22 i still never jumped above 120 i always felt like i could but yeah it, you know i've just always done the horses to make make a bit of money you know mm-hmm. um and that horse turned up you know ju- just at the just at the right time really and I was lucky with um Graham you know he said take the horse all the way through you know he, ne- he never sold it from underneath me would have been easy to we always had offers you know all, all the way through we, d- we did sell the horse in the end but he trusted me and believed in me and it was a it was a great story and I was lucky to be a part of it exactly and yeah you've got so much to thank him for I think you know a horse like that just does help propel people along the way and uh oh I know amazing I know he He was yeah he really was yeah he's still jumping now actually is he still Still, yeah still jumping this year yeah that is fantastic I mean that again it's a testament to the production of these horses that they go on like that so um yeah oh that's great to hear I didn't realize that brilliant yeah um and who were your heroes growing up did you sort of follow the likes of john whitaker and stuff all these people that you're now competing oh, against yeah, definitely. my mum always laughs now because i used to we hope it, it was videos back then oh yeah <laughs> yeah used to have thrills and spills video oh um, i had that yes oh um the john john with milton simply the best video i yes. had that and then there were some Ginny leng training videos with the eventing so my mum used to work nights she's only just retired actually my mum was a midwife um so i would be on my own most days in yeah. the holidays sounds, sounds like a sob story it's not i would just ride my ponies all day and then watch yeah. these videos over and over and over again <laughs> and build an obstacle course and jump it in the style of the horses on thrills and spills yeah. so that is what my summer holidays between the age of five and probably 15 consisted yeah. of we are very similar <laughs> it's obviously uh, stood you in good stead for today though i mean that's, uh, that's well it, i i do yeah without joking about it i do think being just being able to watch people like that and have the yeah. opportunity to just practice on my own riding and copy people you know I, you know i used to try and get them to my ponies to go like the horses on the videos you know yeah. everybody has their own style don't they it's i just nice. used to play around doing that all day so again i was 
I was lucky to be able to do that. I got hours and hours of practice on my own, learning and yeah. you know, and and watching the best. So yeah. And which I mean, which riders do you like to watch nowadays? Do you sort of take? Do you ever get a chance to sort of sit and watch in the collecting ring or? In oh, of course ring? I do. It's all. Like, it's all. It's still, e- e- even now, like I'll be at the Sunshine Tour and I just sit watching people working them on the flat, watching them in the warm up, <gasps> watching them in the young horse classes. Like you've so got good. to. And yeah, but the, all the top riders do it. We're all we're all watching each other, you know, asking questions. I think I think the more that you do, the more you watch, the more you ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Who are my favourites now? I love watching Marcus Anning. He's absolutely fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. Penelope Lepervo is absolutely brilliant. Like yeah. I, I've just been spoiled, haven't I? The last few years, the riders <laughs> sort of been able to watch and. Like you say, watch them in the stables, how, how their grooms look after them, how they flat work them in the mornings. You know, everybody's got everybody's got their own, you know, own system. They have. But just being able to watch things and take little things from everybody and just add it to your own armory. It's yeah, it's been a privilege. It's brilliant. And I mean, we've got so many sort of, you know, every spectrum of age as well. I think that's a great thing about our sport. You know, you've got the classical older generation, you've got the young ones coming up and everyone, like you say, has got a different style and different things you can learn from and brings different yeah. things to the ring so yeah. Um, yeah it's brilliant and finally just looking ahead then to the rest of the year what are have you got big goals and ambitions for 2022 and beyond even as well what are what are you aiming for yeah, i mean well i was expecting a bit of a rebuild year this year but mm-hmm. with Fruselli having done what he's done in spain hopefully he gets a few chances at five star level to prove what is really i mean he's always won at five star level but he hasn't had a crack yeah. at the bigger classes so yeah give it a go and really i just need to having sold denver and sadly having lost heart's destiny yes i need to you know i i need to look to build my string a bit mm-hmm. um but it's you know, i've got some very good young horses coming through but you know always looking for more yes <laughs> that, that that is what i think that's what every every rider's year consists of really yeah. always looking for more always pushing ahead um yeah. But the main the main thing is, I always say to myself, is just enjoy my horses, enjoy mm-hmm. my riding, and the results hopefully will follow. Everything will follow. I'm just trying yeah. to stick to the basics and enjoy it. So that's what I tell myself. I think that's a brilliant philosophy to have. I love Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> well, Holly, it's been absolutely lovely chatting to you as always and looking forward to seeing how you and all these lovely horses progress this year. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. So I'm joined now by Horse and Hounds Dressage Editor Polly Bryan because last week was the NAF Five Star Winter Dressage Championships at Hartbury. Polly, you were there for a couple of days and I know following closely from home during the rest of the competition. How was it? Oh, it was really good. It was great to be back at Hartbury. It always is. Um, but it was fantastic to be back at a winter dressage championships with its normal sort of buzz and atmosphere because although it has gone ahead last year, thanks to enormous efforts from the organisers and British Dressage, it has gone ahead with COVID restrictions in place. And this year was the first time since 2019 that it was back to normal. Um, and it was very, very lovely indeed. Oh, great. And who were the big winners? So I would say the the big winner across the five days has to be Becky Moody. She scored a small tour hat trick with her amazing horse Jaeger Bomb. He won the uh, Magic Priest and George. He won the Superflex into one and the Superflex into one freestyle as well. He was 
absolutely unstoppable. And I really think he's one of Britain's big sort of hopes for the future when it comes to these up and coming horses. He's eight years old. He's Dante Veltino. Um, and he's actually out of a, a mare that Becky had trained um, almost up to Grand Prix level. Uh, but unfortunately, she had to be retired due to injury. So he's British bred and he's incredibly exciting. And I think one of the things I love most about him is actually what Becky said about um, about how he was as a youngster. She actually put him up for sale when he was four because she felt that although he was a very nice horse, very sort of level-headed, um, she felt he just wasn't going to be, you know, hot and exciting enough for her to take up to top level. No one bought him, so she kept on uh, kept on training him, and he has simply blossomed into the most amazing horse. She said that he doesn't have exceptional movement, but he has a great brain and he has good enough movement that she can train him to be exceptional. And I just think that is such a you know really lovely thing to be reminded of that we don't need necessarily these horses that are massively flashy with this spectacular movement straight out of the pan, if you like that if they have a great brain and they're very trainable and they have good movement, you can do an awful lot with them. Mm, it reminds me a little bit of the interview we had with Janelle Price on last week's podcast where she said she was actually a little bit embarrassed by Classic Mary when she first rode her <laughs> and she used to hide down the back of the warm-up and of course she went on to be a badminton winner so we love those <laughs> horses who don't start off with the greatest, uh, the greatest promise but really come through. Definitely. And I think Jagerbomb is really one to to watch out for um, in the years to come. He's called Bomber at home. He is, yeah, just a really lovely horse to watch, very pleasing to watch. And um, although he is still only at small tour level, he was displaying some very, very look, good looking PF outside in the warm up arena while he was uh, waiting for his prize giving. So I definitely think he has got what it takes to be a Grand Prix star. Oh, one to watch out for. And Charlotte Dujardin was on form as well, I think. Yes, she was. Charlotte was another triple winner with two horses. She had two very exciting um, up-and-coming stars at Hartbury. She she had the very lovely five-year-old Times Monomore in the Prestige Italia Novice Goals Championship, which they won. He's just a lovely, lovely horse. I really think that he is going to be great. Um, she's very excited about him. She said that he's one of her one of her favourites, so that bodes well. Um, she also had the very lovely Times Kismet uh, in action. Lovely, lovely mare. She won the Horse Light Medium Gold and the Equitex Advanced Medium Gold with Kismet. Both horses are co-owned um, by Peter Belshaw. And um, I saw him watching, actually, with a great deal of pride on his face. Um, unsurprisingly, they were going extremely well. And uh, Times Kismet is actually a very interesting horse because... Charlotte was telling me how she's quite quirky at home and very, very different in the stable to how she is when you're riding her. She said she's absolutely phenomenal to ride. But at home, she's got a bit of a funny character. She actually can't be turned out in the field very easily. She just really doesn't like going out. They've tried every which way um, and the horse just just won't have it. So I think it's it's really interesting how how some of these really special horses definitely have their quirks. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is a really great championship as well, Polly, because alongside Charlotte Dujardin and Becky Moody, we're seeing some riders who we don't hear about all the time coming through and winning who have fantastic stories. Tell us about a few of those. Oh, my gosh. Just so many amazing horses and riders um, and, you know, amazing teams behind these horses and riders as well. You really get a feel for um, for how much effort goes in to um, to a combination coming to a championship like this. There's always, you know, their, their trainers and their supporters and their owners behind them. And you really feel that it's such a team effort, uh, especially in the Pet Plan Equine Area Festival Championships. There were some fabulous stories. I mean, too many to go through here. One that I thought was impressive was uh, was Megan 
in Austin. She was a winner, uh, a Pet Plan Equine winner. She actually had her appendix out only four weeks before competing at the championships. And um, she'd been out of action for sort of two or three weeks and had literally just got back on board. She thanked her trainer um, for keeping her horse going during that time. There was there were a lot of very unexpected wins. I was um, I was very taken with the ride of Jane Hendy, uh, Rob Roy, who's a Welsh Section D, and um, she said that uh, on the way to the championship, she said she'd spotted someone on Facebook having won a, a pet plan class, and said that she oh she loved the the pet plan rugs and she'd love to win one of those, but really she would just be happy if she finished in the top ten. She was actually a wild card um, qualifier, so she qualified on a wild card didn't expect anything and she came through and won her class which was the prelim bronze very very hotly contested an awful lot of entries in that class I think about about 45 46 so big well done to her and all of the other winners it was just fabulous speaking to so many people hearing their stories um, and people who finished a little bit further down the line as well I spoke to a really lovely lady called called Catherine Rose who um, who had a really horrific accident a couple of years ago um, a very complicated um, ankle fracture she was back looking on top form she uh she came fifth in her class it was just really lovely to see people who have maybe beaten the odds or even not beaten the odds but just worked really really hard to get where they have done and loving their championships experience Oh, well, it's great to hear that, Polly. And I know, of course, that we'll be detailing all those winners' stories in the magazine this week, which is out on Thursday, the 21st of April. So do pick up that issue to read a lot more from the Winter Dressage Championships. Thank you, Polly. Thanks, Pippa. So I'm joined today by all three members of our news team. First up, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you, Eleanor? Yeah, I'm all good. Thank you. Have our last indoor show of the season uh, at the weekend and won a nice shiny rosette. So that's always a bonus. And now it's summer where you have to, and I know eventers won't be sympathetic, but we now have to trek at least an hour and a half to get anywhere. <laughs> so. Oh, an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> you poor little darlings. <laughs> but at least I don't have to get up at like three in the morning. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you got a rosette. Well done. <laughs> Always a bonus. We also have with us our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. Lucy, what have you been up to? I've had the most exciting week. I went along to badminton to have a look at the course for this year's event with um, Eric Winter, course designer, and Andrew Hoy. And I cannot tell you how excited I am. Um, I think I it was just like all my birthdays and Christmas this came at once, really. Uh, it looks absolutely fantastic this year I cannot wait to see how it rides and um, I can't wait for everyone else to, to see it as well so that I can I can talk to everyone about it because I'm bursting to so um, yeah how about you Pippa? Well I was up at badminton as well on Thursday although we didn't see each other did we Lucy but we were both there the same the same day but I was walking the grassroots um, tracks for the Voltaire Design Grassroots Championships and um, yeah I actually really enjoyed that I've never had the chance to walk those grassroots tracks in full before and as someone riding it to be 90 level it was fascinating to see how clever they are in the way those fences are placed obviously there are maximum dimensions and, and that's all fences compared to the five star but it was just really interesting to see how those fences are sort of placed on the rising ground or on particular terrain to make the course look bigger and more imposing than than it should be if you know what i mean so i found it fascinating actually 
And of course, you can read all Andrew Hoy's thoughts from his walk with Lucy and Eric in the magazine on the 28th of April. So do look out for that, as well as some videos of Andrew walking various fences on our website. That's your little plug for the day. And we also have with us Becky Murray, our other senior news writer. How's it going, Becky? Good, thank you. Um, I've not been up to anything quite as exciting as walking the badminton course, but um, no, my horse is sound, which is quite pleasant. And Ooh. hopefully we can now um, get on with spring plans. So that's exciting. Ah, oh, that's good news. And has all your snow gone? More to the yes, point. the sun is shining. <laughs> it's, we're on the up. <laughs> well, if the sun is shining, is shining in Scotland, it is definitely and really time for spring. And uh, <laughs> even summer might be on the way soon. <laughs> well, on to the news. Eleanor, you have been looking at a story this week about fundraising for research into spinal cord injuries. First up, who's, who's involved in this? The, the charity is, is called Spinal Research, uh, which is actively looking for treatments uh, for people who have paralysis from spinal cord injuries. And this particular draw, which involves badminton, is uh, backed by a rider called Tara Stewart, who um, has been paralysed from the neck down since she had a fall in 2014, and also the former world champion Ginny Elliott. Oh, wow. Interesting. And tell us a little more about Ginny's involvement and about her fundraising. So she's been a patron of spinal research since 1993. And, and she says, you know, obviously, as a, an eventer at her level, she's had more falls than she can shake a stick at, as she said. And it's a bit sort of there, but for the grace of God. And she's done loads of loads of fundraising in the past. But this particular um prize draw uh, it's it's open now and some of it involves the grassroots at badminton this year but there's also the the chance to win a, a course walk and a vip lunch with Ginny at badminton next year so uh, loads of stuff there to be won in the draw as well as a craft gin hamper and a, a fairfax and favor bag okay so some good prizes up for grabs there and give us some more details about the research and the trials which are happening so this, uh, it's absolutely jaw-dropping what has already been achieved with this research and, and it's all still in, you know, there's clinical trials going on all over the world. It's called neuromodulation and uh, it's about electric stimulation. Through, so they either have, I think, skin patches or via implants and it just sort of acts on uh, trying to reactivate any connections that are there. So Tara said she's been involved in one of these clinical trials and she's become stronger and recovered sensation. And she said she's been able to activate her legs a bit. And, you know, she said when she was first in hospital, the doctors are, as she said, quite brutal and they just say, no hope, no cure, you won't ever walk again. But there was a man in Switzerland a couple of years ago in a trial who, who had almost severed his spinal cord and he was able to walk with this implant so this is absolutely life transforming stuff that they're doing wow it sounds really interesting we'll definitely be be keen to hear more about that as it progresses thank you eleanor lucy coming over to you now and you've been looking at something that i'm definitely really interested in which is how data analytics are changing equestrian sport and the company that i'm most familiar with in this area is equiratings so let's start off with them what have they been up to recently Yes, I think we're all quite familiar with the work that Equiratings have been doing in eventing. But this week, I wanted to have a chat with them about their expansion into show jumping. So there was a really good episode on on their own jumping podcast on the influence of a horse's nine-year-old year or what the nine-year-old year tells us about horses' future chances of future success. And that 
led to me having a conversation with one of the co-founders, Dern Byrne, about this move into show jumping. Because imagine being able to have a tool i mean no, and they're not in any way saying that this is a definitive the answer to everything but having any indicator about what a horse's potential might be or what what it means what the numbers mean i think is is the real takeaway here about what they're achieving or what they're doing at certain age groups just how valuable that could be as a tool along with everything else that goes into into horse sport and high performance sport so it was i had a good chat with him about about their move which into show jumping which was a big risk really because they made the call during the pandemic years to not let anyone go and to push into jumping and you know bearing in mind 2020 all our events kind of dried up so it was a really and there was so much uncertainty in the world so for them to do this was a it was it was well Derm said it was a big risk um and he said that the olympics were a real turning point for them as it showed that they really had something in their stats and their analytics and what and what they were telling them so we know again from eventing that the firm has several strands they work with events to create engage, engagement and stories um and they also work with uh, teams and federations on the high performance side so another tool of measuring performance and setting targets and things so it comes back again to what i said before about making those statistics mean something. Um, and I really liked what Dem said about how it fits in, that it's not a substitute for veterinary or teamwork or all the other parts of the puzzle. Not saying that those things aren't critical in any way. It's just that so are the numbers. And you wouldn't only have numbers, but you also wouldn't only have all vets and no psychology uh, or the other way around. So it's a part of that jigsaw. And I just, I find it absolutely fascinating how they can take numbers and again i think i've said this on the podcast before that i'm a words not a numbers person so for someone to use making maths making numbers analyzing them in a way that is helping our sport growing our sport giving those top riders an extra edge and it i find it absolutely fascinating and it's it's kind of limitless really isn't it with technology so um yeah it's it's big news and i can't wait to see what they what they do more in the jumping world Mm. I remember last summer during the Olympics, actually, I uh, I know um, Bernard Eck ratings fairly well and we were having a bit of a WhatsApp chat about uh, betting on the Olympics. And he said, I'll put some money on Sweden in the jumping. And I didn't. And I regret that. <laughs> so maybe I should listen to Derm's advice more often. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And there's some exciting news for dressage and para-dressage riders in this sort of sphere too, isn't there? Yes. So there's a new platform which is called the FEI Dressage Performance Dashboard. So this has been launched with the FEI in partnership with SAP and Black Horse One. And it essentially means that riders can have access to all their paperless score sheets, including judges' comments over the last five years. And uh, There's a basic free level and there's further features available on paid subscription. So again, while we know that lots of people have paper copies of their dressage tests, actually having them in a place digitally and a way of analysing those is another level really of, of helping, of how technology can help uh, the sport, can help riders make decisions, inform their training um, as we look towards the future. And the third element of this story that you were looking at was around a company founded by US Olympic show jumping medalist Lucy Davis. What, what's that company and what are they up to? So this is a US-based company, a sort of recently started company um, called Preview. And they 
again are using data and analytics but very kind of really working to push into the lucrative fantasy gaming industry which is very popular in lots of other sports and things it is a billion dollar industry so i thought that was quite interesting to see and they collect data kind of to the detail level of you know the type of surface cantilede which parts of a fence was knocked by a front leg or a hind leg uh, which feeds into its insights and again it's the fantasy games kind of work on predictions with cash prizes and they encourage players to follow and learn more about horses and riders involved and it's about growing the audience and highlighting trends so I, I spoke to the company and kind of what their vision is is very much in in doing something that is benefiting the horse world as well that is at the core of what they're of what they're doing you know horse and rider welfare um is is hugely important to them but they want to to they've seen this opportunity for, for huge growth as well on, on this fantasy um gaming side so i think that'll be quite interesting to see where that goes as well Mm, definitely and of course games is also part of what equi ratings do mm. they have their eventing manager where you can sort of pick your fantasy team at competitions yeah well lots lots to keep an eye on there for, for fans and riders thank you lucy becky you have been writing about hackneys this week tell us what's the news in hackney world well, this year's Rare Breeds Survival Trust's watch list has just been published and this is an annual list with a number of different categories which recognises breeds that are at risk owing to their population size. Now, there are seven breeds within this uh, the priority category and that includes hackneys. So what's concerning is only 31 registered hackney foals were born last year and that's from only 12 breeders. And the Rare Breed Survival Trust has renewed its warning about this and spoken out about the worries around this breed's numbers continuing to decline. And they have urged more people to support the breed's modern uses. Okay. And you spoke to Mark Hardy, the chair of the Hackney Horse Society as well. What, what did he say? What was his view? Well, he shared the Rare Breed Survival Trust's concerns and said it has been tough for Hackney breeders um, because of COVID and just the fact there are such a few number of UK breeders, which obviously then reduces choices for breeders. He also highlighted that Hackneys are very good all-rounders, they're versatile and can be used for a variety of disciplines. Um, people usually associate them with showing or driving, but the Hackney Horse Society would like to see more people using them, which would then hopefully create more of a demand for the breed. Okay. Well, thank you, Becky, for filling us in on that Hackney news and to Lucy and Eleanor for joining us today too. Now we're going over to Trisha Nassau-Williams. Trisha is a qualified saddler, saddle fitter, bit and bridle fitter and liveryman at the Worshipful Company of Lorreners. She's lectured in Lorrenry, that is bits and bridling, to saddlery students at Capel Manor College for many years. Having previously run her own retail saddlery shop specialising in Lorrenry and saddle fitting, she now works as the field officer and Lorrenry consultant for the British Equestrian Trade Association. Over to you, Trisha. This week we're going to be looking at bridle designs and which is best. My simple answer to that is the best design, the best bridle for your horse is in fact the one that fits him the best. However well designed your bridle is, how carefully thought through, however well researched, if it doesn't fit your horse properly, then it's not going to serve him well or give him any greater comfort. There has been a huge explosion in the market, not only on research, but 
availability of different anatomical design bridles, which is very encouraging for good horse welfare. However, just with hum orthopaedic shoes in humans, if they are not appropriate for the individual using them, selected to be the correct size or fitted properly, they're not going to be of any use at all. So using anatomical bridles is great, but they really must be fitted correctly for your horse. So regardless of whether it be an anatomical bridle or a traditional style of bridle, there are several checkpoints that you can go through just to look at the fitting in more care to make sure that it's going to serve the horse as well as possible. So the biggest problem issues that I see are perhaps around the horse's headpiece. If they're not the right length or perhaps in an anatomical one, the right shape for that individual horse. So with the traditional bridle on the headpiece, the top of the section over the top of the horse's head that you the cheek pieces would attach to you want to look to make sure on a traditional bridle that where the split is for where the throat lash and the cheek pieces attach that that is actually going to be sitting below the horse's brow band if that distance from one side to the other is too short there may be a, a danger of the brow band being caused to rise up and create pressure on the horse's ears which is obviously not what we want to be doing um, as I've mentioned with an anatomical one, just make sure that it is actually the right appropriate contour, shape and size for your individual horse. And it is a more complex area. So if you're not sure, it's well worth taking the time and trouble to get um, a professional bit bridle fitter out to help set your horse off with one that is the correct size for him. The brow band needs to be sitting freely around the horse's brow and certainly not so tight that it could cause the headpiece, whatever design it might be, to come back up onto the back of the horse's ears. The headpiece wants to be able to sit clear around the base of the horse's ears. It will be close to it, but it doesn't want to be riding up and onto the bulb of the base of the ears. The horse is a flight animal and it's, I think, something like 10 pairs of muscles that actually move his ears around. A lot of muscles there. He's a flight animal. He needs to be able to move his ears around. And if he's got something pinging up upon his ears, that's not going to aid his comfort. Likewise, if the brow band is too tight, that's going to cause trauma issues as well. Carry on down the bridle is really important and perhaps a, a, one of the most common problems that we see in bridle fitting is if the cheek pieces are buckled up too high. They want to be just level or a tincture below the horse's eyes, but certainly not buckled up at the top near the big jaw joint, the temporomandibular joint. If they are, they can be pressing adversely on all of those muscles of the face, the foramen area where all those muscles come out of the skull and causing trauma and problem to the horse and not pressing, as I say, on that big temporomandibular joint. So if your bridle's cheek pieces are too long, talk to your saddler, maybe they'll be able to shorten them for you or if it's they're too tall because you've actually changed the individual bit that you're using, you've gone for a bit with higher rings or a longer section that comes up the side of the face such as a, a lever bit or say a hanging cheek, then it might be that you can perhaps get some interchangeable cheek pieces if that if your design of bridle enables that but don't have them buckling up at the top. It does also have a serious safety impact. If you're out riding and you're buckled on the very very top holes of a bridle, if you should have the misfortune for the bridle to get caught up or break in some way, how are you going to get home? You've got nothing to buckle up onto. So that's just your own safety point of view as well as the horse's welfare to think about. With nose bands, to make sure that they are never fitted too tight, however 
restrictive a design of a noseband might be designed to be, you should still be able to get two fingers clearly between the underneath of the noseband and the top of the horse's nose, even on the closest fitting. He has to be able, within reason, to be able to swallow, move his tongue and have movement of his jaw. If he's clamped shut, that's a welfare issue, it can affect pressure going back on his TMJ and even in extreme cases back through his body so that is really important. For nosebands that go around the face under the jaw under the bit I would always look to allow a finger to be able to move freely underneath that strap between the horse's face so that it can move around so it's not overly tightened. And with the noseband, where the side sections of the noseband come down, look to see that they are positioned behind the facial crest, not over or on top of it. So your facial crest is, if you like, the cheekbone of the horse, the sticky out bone down the side of your horse's face. And that will vary for the design and make of the noseband as to how far apart those two sections are on the noseband. So if you were to lay your noseband on the table, it's how what the distance between those two upright sections of the noseband are. So if they're not the right size for your horse, make sure you get a bridle uh, that allows that they that they are correct. When fastening up the throat lash, look to see that you've got a good three fingers between the point of the jaw and the throat lash because as the horse works, particularly if you're doing a lot of lateral work, he will bend and flex and fill that area and he doesn't want to have anything that's restrictive on him when he's doing so or you can't possibly expect him to work well. Whatever design or type of bridle you get, just make sure it's appropriate for the task that you're performing with your horse and that it fits really well. So I hope that you found that useful and interesting. Uh, to find out more information of where you can seek services to help you and your horse with saddle, bridle and bit fit, please go to beta-uk.org and search our members directory. You can click the appropriate selection and put in your postcode and it will bring up service providers for you. BETA are the British Equestrian Trade Association here to serve you and your horse. Look out for the big BETA logo when you shop in store as a sign of a good approved retailer. See you next time. Thank you, Tricia. Tricia will join us again next week to talk about the different materials that can be used in bits. And our interview will be with Becky Moody, Grand Prix dressage rider and a triple winner at the recent Winter Dressage Championships. We'll also review the week's news as normal. I've also got some good news for you, podcast listeners. We will be bringing you daily podcasts throughout Badminton Horse Trials. So from Wednesday to Sunday of Badminton Week, you'll be able to catch up with all of the news from the event through our team on site. Plus, we'll have interviews with leading riders each day on those podcasts. We're all really looking forward to that. And in the meantime, we'll be back with our regular weekly episode next week. Goodbye. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.